Shot Twelve, of The Right Way to Do Wrong, an expose of successful criminals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. The Right Way to Do Wrong, an expose of successful criminals by Harry Houdini. Shot 12. Fake, fake, fake. There are certain classes of men, and women, too, who, while not actually criminal, are yet so close to the boundary line in their practices as to need some special mention in this book. Take, for instance, the many so-called divine or mental healers, who pretend to cure all sorts of diseases by the laying on of hands, or simply absent treatment, or the old-style patent medicine fraud, who retailed sweetened and colored water under some high-sounding name as Dr. So-and-so's elixir and tonic, from the tail end of a cart, after having attracted a crowd of the curious with a lecture or open-air minstrel show. Far be it for me to decry the actual healing and curative value of many excellent proprietary medicines and preparations on the market today. But among the good there are many that are worthless, and I should advise my readers to take such remedies only on the advice of their family physician. The fake doctor is still with us, and his advertisements are often to be seen in the newspapers of America. They usually advertise under some honest-sounding name, and assume all the titles and learned degrees of two continents. Some are actually physicians, and, failing in the regular practice, have set out to make a living by deluding suffering humanity. It would be amusing, if it were not sorrowful, to see the crowds of patients who bring their ailments to such doctors. The game is to give the sufferer some relief at first in order to encourage him, and then prolong his case through many weary weeks and months until they have gotten all the money he can afford to spend. Such doctors usually call themselves specialists, but their real specialty is in exhorting money from their dupes, and my advice is to keep as far away from them as possible. Thanks to the energetic efforts of the authorities, many, if not all, of these practitioners have been driven out, and it is to be hoped that such tragedies as that unearthed in the Susan Geary case will be rare in the future. The case of Francis Truth, alias Will Bemis, the self-styled divine healer, attracted no little attention throughout the East, especially in Boston a few years ago. The man was a handsome, plausible, smooth-spoken man, who claimed to have some mysterious mesmeric power by which he could cure any disease simply by the laying on of hands. His advertisements bristled with testimonials and brilliant promises, and he did a good business among the credulous. Many, who doubtless had nothing whatever the matter with them, were hypnotized into the belief that they were cured. Finally, Truth, or Bemis, found his money getting limited, because he could only treat a limited number a day. Then he had recourse to the absent treatment dodge. He would tell his patients that he would give them an absent treatment at a certain hour, and at that time they were to retire to their rooms and think of him, and they would receive the healing influence. As the number of his dupes grew, he branched into a mail-order feature, until hundreds and thousands of people who had never seen the healer were sending him money by mail. He received hundreds of letters each day, until the post office was forced to deliver them in great bags, and his income amounted to thousands of dollars a week. Truth lived in great style, drove about in his own carriage, had quite an office force of stenographers and clerks to handle the mail, and was getting rich hand over fist 
when the post office authorities and the police put an end to his career. Advertising mediums, clairvoyants, and astrologers have hosts of dupes, and some invite the methods of the confidence man, with mystical advice and fortune-telling. Not long ago, a certain Miss Ethel L. Blank of Malden, Massachusetts, visited a so-called medium in Boston. As soon as she entered his inner sanctum, she was surprised to have him caution her about a large sum of money which she was carrying. This occult knowledge so inspired her confidence that she asked his advice about a suit she was interested in. He told her he would have to put her in a trance, which he did. When she came out of it, he cautioned her to go directly home and to hold her fingers crossed until she reached her own room, where she must remain for two days. It was actually some hours before she realized that she had been robbed of $1,000, which she had in her pocket. Of course, the medium had disappeared. I must say that with all its boasted culture and learning, Boston seems to be a favorite city for all sorts of schemes of this kind. Astrologers, mediums, clairvoyants, test mediums, and the like abound in the hub as in few other places it has been my good fortune to visit, and I have been all over the world. Chicago also has its share. New Yorkers pride themselves in believing in nothing at all, and yet it was only a short time ago that a man named Ridgely, and calling himself the East Indian Mystery, victimized many people of wealth and fashion in that metropolis. This remarkable person combined the fakir of the East with the modern magnetic healer and the voodoo doctor of French Louisiana. The man himself is seventy years old. He is small, spry, alert, and wonderfully shrewd. His beard is bushy and black, except where age has whitened the edges, and grows thick and curly at the sides. The nose is as flat as a negro's. He denies negro blood, however, and abhors the race. He claims to be from Hindustan, and talks to others in the house in a strange tongue. The eyes of the man are small, shrewd, and dark. The forehead, from each side of which grows gray, bushy hair that hides the ears, is high, receding, and intelligent. I knew you were coming, says this wizard-like man, and I determined to receive you, though warned against you. Now you want to know what I am, what I do. Let us be honest with each other. He chooses big words as he proceeds to describe himself. They are used aptly, but mispronounced. The TH becomes D, and there are other things not unfamiliar in the Southern Negro. The East Indian proceeds to read your character and to tell you of your life. He does it well. I am not a fortune teller, he explains. They are frauds, and I am a physiognomist. I read from the apex of the nose to the top of the forehead. I don't predict. I tell you, and I don't ask you to say if I am right or wrong. It is said that among this man's patrons have been men and women whose names are a part of the life of New York. It is also said that a recent marriage which astonished New York society came after the woman in the case had consulted this strange combination of charlatan and physician. She confided to him her desire, told him of her repeated failures to secure her wish, took the treatment, and in three months was married. Then followed, so the story goes, many presents, among them a tenement to the East Indian. Spiritualism has many followers, and at one time I was almost a believer, but this was before I made a thorough investigation, which I have followed up even to the present day. I have never seen a materialization or a manifestation which I cannot fully explain. Of course, I cannot explain those that I hear about, as no two people see the same one thing alike. 
Spiritualism is really a beautiful belief for those that are honest and believe in it. But as I have visited the greatest spiritualistic meetings in the world, I am sorry to say that no one has ever produced anything for me that would smack of the spiritual. In Germany, spirit mediums are put in jail for obtaining money under false pretenses. In England, Maskenline, of Maskenline and Cook, has done a great deal to keep the so-called fraud spiritualistic mediums out of England. In the future, I contemplate writing a book on spiritualistic methods and how they do their tricks. I do not mean genuine spiritualists who have no tricks, but those mediums who use their knowledge of magic to gain a living. The Davenport brothers, during their short but strenuous career, had a terrible time of it in their journeys abroad. They were driven out of England, but they made enough money to last them the rest of their lives. End of Shot 12 Recording by Leanne Howlett.